Sunday morning. Welcome, y'all, to the show. And, you know, I want to jump right in this because a lot of you have had questions since you learned that we were having our great friend, Dr. Uh, Temple Robinson, back on the show. And it's been all about our kids. Uh, We've been thinking about them uh, for a while because many of us, 12 and older, we've had the opportunity to be vaccinated. And I say opportunity because y'all, some of y'all out there who can hear the sound of my voice, y'all still uh, holdouts. And we're going to talk to you some today, too. But but for the rest of us uh, and in general, we've had the opportunity to get vaccinated. But our children, um, ages 5 to 11, have just been waiting. Uh, and even this morning, one of my daughters, Paloma, uh, asked me this morning, uh, Daddy, am I going to get vaccinated? Is it time? And I felt some comfort in telling her that, yes, you are. And as a matter of fact, you have an appointment. Uh, and I feel real good about that. But y'all, that doesn't mean we don't have questions. And we always, when we have questions, go to our, our, our favorite doctor of the show. And that's Dr. Temple Robinson. Uh, Dr. Robinson, thank you for being with us this morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you again for having me. Well, we well you're part of our family and, and you're one of the smarter part of our family, especially when it comes to <laughs> especially when it comes to to our health. And, uh, you know, on Tuesday, November 2nd of. Uh, Federal health officials gave the final approval for Pfizer vaccine that would qualify about 28 million eligible children to be vaccinated. Final approval came down uh, um, a few days. FDA granted emergency use of this vaccine for children 5 to 11. Uh, Dr. Robinson, what has the COVID impact been on children in the state of Florida so far? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been all over the place and it's been horrendous. So when this approval came across, I, I think the children were as excited about it uh, as the adults were. Um, you think about what children have had to see, the level of sickness and death that they've been exposed to, whether it was on TV or whether it was in their home. You know, we, we have children in uh, many of the schools here. We've spoken with children and they've had one, if not both parents, to die of COVID. So you think about the amount of stress and fear and anxiety children have gone through. Um, and even during the periods of lockdown, when uh, children had to do all their schoolwork and homework at home, a lot of kids, they suffer from what we call the digital divide. Uh, where the school districts themselves, our own school district, recognized this and were able to put, you know, Wi-Fi in the community so kids could, could connect with their friends uh, over the Internet and so forth. So, I mean, kids have just been uh, just affected terribly, even though they may not have gotten as sick as adults from COVID. Um, but the, the side effects of the whole COVID atmosphere has been hard. I will say, though, in Florida... 
over uh, right at about a half a million children, I say children, that's ages 16 and, 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 and younger, have been affected with COVID, and about 30 have died. And this was as of uh, the October data, and you know data kind of lags. But putting the data aside, just the emotional uh, stress, the food insecurity, the job loss of parents, and the fear uh, and uncertainty they've seen in their own parents' eyes. So we're just glad that we're hopefully able to cross another big hurdle and try to get this COVID situation put behind us. And you, you're always right in it. So your your voice today on this means a lot to um, to us here, but to the listeners as well. So, so, so this is important, and, and especially, you know, back in October, the the president released a statement saying that you know, vaccines would be convenient and equitably equitably available uh, to families across the country. And that always makes me think of your work every day um, at Bond. And, um, uh, and, and so when we think about the administration of the vaccine to children 5 and 11 years old, what, what role will, will Bond play? Um, um, in doing that? Well, uh, once again, we'll be on the front line, as you always say. Um, and we received our first uh, shipment of pediatric vaccines. So uh, our attention first will go to educating parents and reassuring parents. And then, of course, the logistics of getting shots and arms. So we'll be uh, giving shots at the office. We'll probably use, utilize our mobile unit because you talked about equitable availability. And that means sometimes you have to take the vaccine to the patient as opposed to waiting for the patient to come to you. We will look at extending hours so children don't have to miss school to come in to get a shot. They can come in after school or on a Saturday and so forth. And then we'll be doing some telephone and Internet campaigns, work with other um, community health centers and the health department and so forth to get people vaccinated um, in the public. So it's a lot of work to do. We want to hurry because the only way to remember the only way to beat COVID is to outrun it. So we want to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we can. Well, and that, that's important. And I and, and I tell you this, I wonder, especially as it relates to Bond and well, any of the the healthcare organizations or doctors that will be administering um, the rollout here for for kids getting vaccinated. Uh, does this does this require any special training, um, different resources than uh, you had to go through before um, doing other uh, age specific uh, rollouts? Well, it, it, it takes, again, great attention to detail. You don't just do this willy nilly. Um, you then the shots, the uh, immunizations go into what we call the deltoid. So most children's deltoid upper aspect of the arm is much smaller than uh, adults. So we want to make sure, of course, that the shot's going in the right place. Uh, we were happy to see that our um, immunizations have come prepackaged with pediatric needles, pediatric syringes. The packaging has a different colored uh, cap uh, packaging. Um, and so we're main thing is attention to detail and making sure, just like you do with adults, that you give the right shot to the right child at the right place. Okay. All right. I, I think that that's, I mean, I, I'm, I asked that question just because, you know, we don't get to do this. You do. So those little details sometimes matter. Mm -hmm. And I think as we try to make parents comfortable, it's helpful for them to sort of understand from, I think, you know, from beginning to end, 
what you have to go through and what their kid, what they can expect, um, you know, what their kids will go through. So that's why I know it seems it probably seems tedious to you because it's like you do it every day. But but that's actually helpful no, no, but, information. But, but these are great these are great questions, and this is the kind of conversation that we encourage parents to have because we, you know, a child can't walk up and say, "I want a COVID vaccine." The parent has to say, "I'm ready for my child to get the COVID vaccine," and the only way you can do that is if you have a level of confidence um, in the vaccine and in the conversation, trusted medical profession professional. Um, that, that's what's going to get us over the hump. Agreed, agreed. And, I'm, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up the parental consent thing because, you know, you got parents who hadn't decided to do it themselves. And That's right. And we can't just grab their kids and, and, and give them a <laughs> shot in the arm. Um, right. And it just makes me think as, as we started COVID initially and as vaccines became available late last year, we saw a dominant hesitancy amongst minority groups, particularly black Americans, right. on actually taking the vaccine. And, right. and you being the COVID warrior that we've talked about on this show, I mean, you, you've been on the front lines doing a lot of education, a lot of outreach. And, you know, one of the facts that you shared was that 10 percent of black people of all ages and 15 to 16 percent of Hispanic people of all ages participated. Uh, only only that number participated uh, in the clinical trials. But you say only that number, but blacks make up only about 10 to 12 percent of the population in general. So the take home message was actually in these trials, unlike many other medical trials where minorities aren't um, noticed or, or, or not included, we had really good representation in these trials. And that was the take home message. So those are good numbers. Those are really good numbers if you think about the uh, census in the United States that Moderna especially went out of their way to make sure that we had good representation of, of minorities in the, you know, because that's the only way to know if medications work for all people or all different types of people. And what can you tell us? Uh, uh, so in, and in the trials for children, you're satisfied yes. from ages five to 11 that that there was th- th- that an adequate amount of children that look like us were a part of these same, trials. Right. And we're all the same good. type of spread. And moreover, uh, thousands of children from across the world. So you remember just because you have brown skin and, and you say you're African-American, you might be mixed with all kinds of stuff. We, that's a that's a conversation we, for another Sunday we morning. We are show. learning that we are learning that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation for another Sunday morning show. But so you're talking about thousands of children from across the world, especially in that uh, five to 11 year old. And we're still testing the two, the six months to two year olds because those children still are yet to be vaccinated. And then the two year olds to five year olds. And so the problem that we have are the parents to enroll their child in a clinical trial. Now, you have somebody on your door saying, hey, Sean Pittman, can we enroll your six-month-old baby in a clinical trial? You, that, that's a big hurdle that you would have to hump is to get over to try to enroll your child. It sure but you, is. That's the only way to know if it works. It sure is, and they'd be asking the wrong ones, the wrong person. There you the go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so far, so good. The, the vaccines are very effective. 
you know, 90 to 91 percent effective. The side effects are very few and very similar to what the adults have had. So you have, you know, fever, aches and pains maybe at the site of the shot. Half the kids have no symptoms. They just act like nothing has ever happened. Um, but we also caution the parents, you know, don't, I'm going to give a little Tylenol before we go so your arm won't hurt. Don't take any medicine before you get vaccinated because we really want the body to have a good response from that shot. And then afterwards, if the child has a little fever afterwards or the arm is a little more than, than the child can, can uh, tolerate with just putting a cold compress or something on then you may want to give them. But don't do anything to blunt what we call that response from the shot. Okay, so parents, make sure you heard that. The doctor is saying do not give your kids any Tylenol, Bayer, any aspirin, anything before you... Well, don't give children aspirin, period. Well, That's okay. a no-no. See, I'm no doctor. But I'm just... Tylenol or don't do that before the shot. But don't do it before the shot. And if you if if there's something afterwards, then it's okay. Right. And then and then if you really have concerns, say, you know what? My baby looks a little achier than I would think after a shot. Don't be shy. Call the doctor. There's no dumb question. There's no, um, you know, mama or daddy overkill question. Just call. I want everybody to be comfortable because if I can get everyone who takes the vaccine to convince one other person to take a vaccine, we'll get this area vaccinated. Tell us about um, kids that may have attracted the virus at one point. Uh, do you encourage uh, their parents to get them vaccinated still? Absolutely. Same thing with adults. Um, if you have had COVID in the past, one, you don't know what variant of COVID you had. And we know that, yes, you do mount some natural immunity. But once you get the vaccine, the level of the immune response to the virus goes up by thousand, a hundred, so if not a thousand times. So, yes, get the vaccine because we have found that the vaccine on top of your own immunity really gives the body great uh, protection from COVID. So, Dr. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Temple Robinson of the Bond uh, Community Health Center. Um, our friend, you know her, and we're so happy to have her back. Um, kids and adults, of the, you know, just everybody, what is those that are out there who feel like, you know, what is the point of taking the COVID vaccine if it will not stop you from contracting or even spreading the virus? Break that right. down for a do for us, doctor. Well, first, it may stop you from contracting the virus, but there's no guarantee that it will, um, just like with a flu shot or any other uh, shot, but it will decrease how sick you'll get. Same thing with the flu vaccine. It might, may not stop you from getting the flu, but it will decrease how sick you get. It will decrease the likeliness, the likelihood that you'll be hospitalized, the likelihood that you will die, and it will, it will shorten the uh, time that you're sick, and, and therefore it will decrease um, the likelihood that you'll spread it to others. So it's very similar to what happens when we take a flu vaccine or some other vaccine. But while I have the, the mic a second, I want to remind people, if you come down with COVID, whether you've been vaccinated or not, I want to remind you about getting the monoclonal antibodies. If you're sick and it's within that first week to 10 days, please, they're still giving them at the uh, old Sears on, um, at the old Governor Square Mall. 
Don't forget monoclonal antibodies because it will shorten the span of your uh, period where you're feeling poorly at home. As you mentioned that, how does these you know new pills that that Merck and Pfizer have come up with um, right. apparently that will help you once you get the virus um, um, rid yourself of it how, how do you, how is how do you see that and is that 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 a game changer at all well it's, it's going to help but, we, but I don't want the message to get um, to get confused now just like with the monoclonal antibodies you take this pill after you've been infected with COVID. Well, we're giving out vaccines because we don't want you to get infected with COVID. But the good thing about the pills, just like uh, the medicine you may have heard of called Tamiflu, if you come down with the flu, if you get to the doctor fast enough in the first couple of days, you can be prescribed Tamiflu and it will shorten the uh, length of time that you're sick with the flu and decrease some of those severe side effects or your risk of hospitalization. Well, it's the same thing with this medication. It hasn't been approved yet. It's still being, but it looks like it's going to be a really good thing. That if you come down with COVID, and especially if you have some of those, what we call comorbidities, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, you're at risk for a bad, bad outcome from COVID, that it is shown to decrease the level of illness and the severity of the COVID virus in these people. But what we always say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And what is the ounce of prevention? Get the vaccine. And I think I'm hearing that these pills are, are really geared towards high-risk folks above age 60 and and maybe suffering from pre, pre-existing things like obesity. Uh, is that, is, I mean, is, is that where that really is right now um, as it well, relates to the pills? Well, that's where, yeah. Yeah, well, that's where it is now. But I, I'm, I can't say I'm sure. I suspect as that uh, pill gets further developed and is studied more, that it may have a more widespread use. But these were the people that it studied on because these are the people more likely to die and have a bad outcome from COVID. But uh, I suspect in years to come that this will be um, main mainstream treatment, just like we use Tamiflu for the flu. But right now, um, it has it has been shown to prevent severe illness in people that are highly susceptible to bad COVID outcomes. So, let's as we as we sort of try to wrap this up. Let's let's and thank you again. I mean, these are great words of wisdom, and all of us um, all of us will deposit it, and hopefully, it'll have the impact that we that we hope that it will have on our on our community and all the communities. Um, I've heard you say many times that, you know, the bottom line here is fully vaccinated individuals are, are 10 times less likely to be hospitalized uh, with COVID uh, and even including against the Delta variant. Um, and I know that, you know, as we move towards living with this now for almost two years, you know, people are getting tired. I mean, we're getting tired of hearing the same old things. Uh, yeah. Whether it's moving you or not, you know, it it we it just sort of grows on us, right? Yeah, um, I tell people, you know, I'm sick of COVID. COVID's still making us sick. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> exactly. And it's a real burnout, right? You're a healthcare professional yeah. and a healthcare leader, and the mental health. That the mental health of everybody that's involved and on the front line, 
of this one. And when we think about all that we've been through, you know, the the the, the allocation of funds, whether you believe it was was good or poor, the inadequate amount of PPE, the the question mark of vaccines, and then ultimately having them, uh, it, you know, the store the the appropriation and appropriate storage facilities for. Um, for the vaccines when we got them. I mean, you remember we heard a lot about you oh, know, yeah. that that being inadequate uh, overall manpower. And and I just wonder in your mind and you think about the, the healthcare community and the workforce, what's the lasting change that COVID-19 ha- will have made when this is done? Yes, I, I, I see it every day um, because I'm on both ends of medicine. I'm on the... Um, administration in as well as the clinical in and um, you know we had a shortage in the healthcare field especially pre-COVID and now with everyone just being exhausted it has been exacerbated and so post-COVID people are really reassessing their priorities and their sort of risk tolerance um, there you know that that was a big deal I mean you think about if you were, were uh, susceptible to COVID and you on the front line working a personal risk tolerance now by working in healthcare, work-life balance, and in life dream. So when, we, when we're looking at this and we're working to recruit people, we actually have to stop now and in almost every position and listen very carefully to what candidates are looking for and whether they want flex schedules or, or where do they want to work. And this is in every field, not just in healthcare. Um, because uh, people's mindsets uh, have changed. They're saying, wait a minute, I work for a living. Well, what happened to the living part of this? I've really got to <laughs> see how I can enjoy life and that, get to living. That's, that's it. So, yeah, and, so that's what we where we are. And I mean, and most agencies are looking for help. Bonus, as I hate to say the word short, but we're short in almost every position. And uh, I'll just uh, use a little plug. In the next few weeks, you're going to see that we're going to be hosting a series of on-the-spot job fairs, whether they're um, online or face-to-face, like the speed dating, because we've got some positions that we need to fill, and we need to fill them with people who embrace what we're trying to do. Well, Dr. Robinson, I, I've held you up enough this great Sunday morning, and I just want to say thank you, as I always do, for the work that you do over at, at Bond. Uh, you really have just, you, you really changed um, that community, uh, and you changed that center uh, for uh, the, now we, we, we can appreciate all the ass, it being the asset that it is, right? I'm, I'm bumbling with that because I, I always like to be careful <laughs> with, with how I talk about the present moment uh, but you have really done a fantastic job and as we try to close down here I do want to just circle back to the purpose of this show and that is to give some comfort to our parents out there um, yes. that their kids 5 through 11 now have the ability um, to to be vaccinated and there are places in this community where um, those uh, vaccines are being administered and I just wanted uh, listeners to have an expert on the phone with a voice like yours uh, to to give you some comfort. And, and obviously it's everyone's choice, but we're all in this together, Dr. Robinson. And yes. and I think when we when we start to make a, a, a have a collective voice on on how we deal with covid and how we 
put it behind us, uh, we will be better off. And I wonder, as you close out as well, I mean, people talk about this herd immunity thing. Um, uh, are we moving closer to that being a possibility or is that just an, an, an afterthought and you just deal with the one at a time thing? Well, we are moving closer uh, to it, uh, some of it by default and some of it by really trying to get these vaccination um, shots in arms. And I, I don't know what the end product is going to be. I don't know where we're going to be, whether this is going to be something that we are going to have to deal with in years to come. But each individual, um, you have to look at your own herd immunity in your own home. I call it community immunity because I don't want to be in anybody's herd. So try to get your home vaccinated. Try to get your immediate surroundings and your friends safe. And I, I, I will uh, encourage parents to do what you have done and what many parents have done. And that is talk to the health professional that you personally know, that you trust, that you have a relationship with. Ask those questions and ask them again until you are leaving with a level of comfort that you're ready now to take your child or you and your child go hand in hand and both of you get vaccinated. I challenge you to turn off the noise Hear the truth. Turn off all this unsolicited advice that you may be getting. And, you know, we're in the middle of football season, and I say teams when go into a loud stadium, they must ignore the noise and concentrate on the signal. And the signal at this time means a clear message and the truth that you're getting from a healthcare professional that you trust to make this decision about your child. Well, listen, Dr. Robinson, thank you so much. And and listeners, um, if you're not trusting what Dr. Robinson is saying here now and you're not trusting uh, your doctors, then you're trusting COVID. And I and may I add one thing, yes. um, Sean, I've got to add this. This is the doctor and me. We're in the middle of flu season. It is bad out there. Please get your flu vaccine. You can get your COVID vaccine and flu vaccine on the same day. If it's a child. One in one arm and one in the other. Don't get them both in the same arm. But flu is going to be rampant this year. Please get your flu back. All right. Well, listeners, who do you trust? Dr. Robinson or COVID or the flu? <laughs> I choose <laughs> I choose Dr. Robinson. Uh, listeners, stay with us for a short Pittman point. And Dr. Robinson, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. Listening to the Sean Pittman Show. Welcome back to the show, and I want to thank Dr. Temple Robinson for coming on the show. Y'all know her well as a CEO of uh, our own Bond Community Health Center. But as we continue to learn from her, look, let's go get vaccinated. And now that we have vaccinations for our kids, let's get them vaccinated too. And let's do it now. <laughs> let's not wait. Listen. We learned about Merck and Pfizer companies today and and them creating a drug uh, in the form of a pill that will help us fight the coronavirus. While these innovations are fantastic solutions to get us out of this pandemic, we would all be remiss to fail to consider what the coronavirus has taught us, uh, has taught some of us and reaffirmed for others. Minorities, undereducated and underserved communities have been disproportionately impacted by COVID and, you know, continue to be disproportionately impacted. We've said that over and over again on this show, and I'm sure you'll hear it again. According to the CDC, health equity is achieved when every person has an opportunity to attain his or her full health potential. 
and no one is disadvantaged from achieving this potential because of social position or other socially determined circumstances. Health disparities and inequities are types of unfair health differences closely linked with social, economic, and environmental disadvantages that y'all adversely affect groups of people, specific groups of people. The inequities that COVID magnified in terms of infection and death rates linger largely because remedies to health inequity often focus only on reducing disparities in a clinical sense, right, in clinical care, and not on social determinants that come from the disparity, right? Like housing, food security, transportation, and yes, access to quality health care. So the question is, what are we as a community, as individuals, and on the broadest scale, um, what are we doing about it? So the Pitma point today is remembering that achieving health equity is a moral issue, but more importantly, it's a moral right. Let's get vaccinated. This has been the Sean Pittman Show. We'll see you in seven.